We are in Joshua chapter 9. Joshua chapter 9. And let me, let me uh, uh, revisit the map again so we see exactly where we're dealing with here. So remember, the children of Israel came. They wandered in the wilderness here 40 years after coming out of Egypt. They came up from the east side. This is the River Jordan from the Sea of Galilee going straight on down to the Dead Sea, the River Jordan. And they, they first conquered two kings on this side. Uh, uh, there are two and a half tribes, Reuben, Gad, and half of the tribe of Manasseh are on this side. Manasseh was a very big tribe, and so only half of it remained on this side. But their fighting men came across with the rest of the children of Israel. Remember, they first came across, they took Jericho, then they set up camp at Gilgal. And then they came up, we saw how they took Ai, Bethel attacked them at the same time, so they took Bethel along with it. Now what they've done is they've gone back to Gilgal to, to, to uh, uh, refresh themselves and get ready for the next battles. But what we're going to see is from now on they don't have to initiate the battles. The battles come to them. So, so all of these other, other peoples are going to gather together and, and fight against them. But what we're going to read about is this town, Gibeon, right here. So this is Jerusalem. This is 20 miles from here to here. So between Jerusalem and Gibeon is only about two miles, two and a half miles. And, and uh, from Ai and Bethel, we're only about a mile, mile and a half from Ai and Bethel to Gibeon. Now we're going to read about these people from Gibeon that they're going to approach Joshua and the other leaders back down at Gilgal. I doubt if they came this way. They may have come up and around to them in, in, in a way. And we'll see, see why, because they came uh, uh, by deception. So in Joshua chapter 9, in Joshua chapter 9, there's, we're going to skip the first, the first few verses there, because those actually are an introduction to Joshua chapter 10. And we're going to pick it up in chapter in verse 3 of Joshua chapter 9. Then we'll come back to those other verses just before we hit Joshua chapter 10. So Joshua chapter 9, verse 3. When the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and to Ai, they also acted craftily and set out as envoys and took worn-out sacks on their donkeys and wineskins worn out and torn and mended and worn out and patched sandals on their feet and worn out clothes on themselves and all the bread of their provisions was dry and had become crumbled. They went to Joshua to the camp at Gilgal and said to him and to his men, We have come from a far country, now therefore make a covenant with us. Then the men of Israel said to the Hivites, Perhaps you are living within our land. How then shall we make a covenant with you? But they said to Joshua, We are your servants. Then Joshua said to them, Who are you and where do you come from? And they said, Your servants have come from a very far country because of the fame of the Lord your God. For we have heard the report of Him and all that He did in Egypt and all that He did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sion, king of Heshbon, and to Og, king of Bashan, who was at Ashtaroth. So our elders and and the inhabitants of our country spoke to us saying, Take provisions in your hand for the journey and go to meet them and say to them, We are your servants. Now then, make a covenant with us. This our bread was warm when we took it for our provision out of our houses on the day that we left to come to you. But now, behold, it is dry and has become crumbled. These wineskins which we filled were new, and behold, they are torn. And these our clothes and our sandals are worn out. 
because of the very long journey. So the men of Israel took some of their provisions and did not ask for the counsel of the Lord. So Joshua made peace with them and made a covenant with them to let them live. And the leaders of the congregation swore an oath to them. And it came about at the end of three days after they had made a covenant with them that they heard that they were neighbors and they were living within their land. Then the sons of Israel set out and came to their cities on the third day. Now their cities were Gibeon, Cherephah, Beeroth, and Kiriath-Jerim. The sons of Israel did not strike them because the leaders of the congregation had sworn to them by the Lord of God of Israel. And the whole congregation grumbled against the leaders. But all the leaders said to the whole congregation, We have sworn to them by the Lord, the God of Israel, and now we cannot touch them. This we will do to them, even let them live, so that the wrath will not be on us for the oath which we swore to them. The leaders said to them, Let them live. So they became hewers of wood and drawers of water for the whole congregation, just as the leaders had spoken to them. Then Joshua called them and spoke to them, saying, Why have you deceived us, saying, We are from a very far country, when you were living within our land? Now therefore you are cursed, and you shall never cease being slaves, both hewers of wood and drawers of water, for the house of my God. So they answered and they said to Joshua, Because it was certainly told your servants that the Lord your God had commanded his servant Moses to give you all the land and to destroy all the inhabitants of the land before you. Therefore, we feared greatly for our lives because of you and have done this thing. Now behold, we are in your hands. Do as it seems good to you and right in your sight. Thus he did to them, and he delivered them from the hands of the sons of Israel, and he did not kill them. But Joshua made them that day hewers of wood and drawers of water for the congregation and for the altar of the Lord to this day in the place which he would choose. So in Deuteronomy chapter 7, Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 1 and 2 was Moses' instruction that when you come into the land that's given to you, you are to wipe out everybody. We covered this before, and it was because... They were going to, they, they were offering up even their children in the fire for offerings to their gods. He says that they will rub off on you. We can't have that. I've given them 400 years. 400 years. You think you're patient with people who are doing things wrong? 400 years God gave them to repent and they didn't repent. And finally judgment hit. And judgment was going to be enacted by the children of Israel coming into that land. But in Deuteronomy chapter 20, verses 10 through 18, it says that you can make covenants with people outside the land. You are to go and you are to offer them terms of peace. If they will submit, you can make them into, in, into your servants, you can make them into your hewers of, of, of stone or wood, carriers of water, you can do that. You can make a covenant with them. If they will not agree to terms of peace, then you are to utterly destroy all the males. You were never to touch or rape the females. That was never allowed or to hurt the children. That's, that's in Deuteronomy 7 and Deuteronomy 20. But this group of people, interestingly enough, you see that the Gibeonite, Gibeon is only about a mile and a half or two miles from the cities they've already defeated. These guys came by sleuth. They came, they came by deception and they said, hey, you know, uh, we come from a far country and they were really decked out. They put on old clothes and they worn out sandals. They took bread that was all old and moldy. And they had only traveled from Gibeon down, down to, to Gilgal about three miles or four miles or five miles downhill. Now, they might have come around, but they said, oh. And so it says that, that when they came, 
It says they acted craftily and they sent envoys. These are ambassadors. These are the people that make peace. This is the people that they sent. They sent envoys. Then he says, he, he, he says, he says to them, and they took out all their worn out sacks. In verse, in verse 8, they went to Joshua to the camp at Gilgal and said to him and to the men of Israel, we have come from a far country, now therefore make a covenant with us. So their terms were, we've come from far away, make a covenant with us. And the men of Israel said, it says, the men of Israel said to the Hivites, they didn't know they were Hivites. This is being written after the fact. The men of Israel said to the Hivites, perhaps you are living within our land. They didn't say to them, hey you Hivites, you're living in our land, because they were to utterly destroy the Hivites. But I want you to remember that these guys are Hivites. These were part of the people, and if you look in Deuteronomy chapter 7, in Deuteronomy chapter 20, it says you are specifically to wipe out the Hivites. These were part of the peoples that they were supposed to wipe out. They were Hivites. And they said to them, perhaps you're living with us. And then they said, but they said in verse 8, but they said to Joshua, we are your servants. So initially, the terms were, make a covenant with us. These guys aren't going for it. And they said, we are your servants. In other words, if you make a covenant with us, we will be your servants. We will serve you. So it wasn't like Joshua put this. They offered that. They said, we will be your envoys and we will serve you. So this is, this is what they were offering. And then he says, he, says, uh, um, he says to them, where do you come from? And they lie. He says, we, we come from really far away. But you see that they never said specifically where they're from. Oh, really far? Oh, so far away. They, they come. And it says that they, they didn't inquire of the Lord. So that was the first problem. They never asked the Lord. And this is what happens when the Lord starts giving us successes. Very often we just start flying by the seat of our pants. And uh, we feel we, we don't have to ask the Lord anymore. It's when they're really in trouble. Remember when they got beat up when the first time they went into AI, they spent all day before the Lord, just weeping before the Lord. So when things start going right, you end up not going before the Lord. So, so, uh, so they, they, they never asked asked anything of the Lord. But what I want to look at is, is a really interesting event that had occurred in Genesis, back in the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 34. So if you look back in the book of Genesis chapter 34, and an interesting event occurred. So this is, this is more than 400 years earlier. An interesting event occurs in Genesis chapter 34. J, uh, uh, Jacob has 12 sons and he has a daughter named Dinah. And it says in, in, in chapter 34 of Genesis, verse 1, Now Dinah, the daughter of Leah, whom she had borne to Jacob, went out to visit the daughters of the land. When Shechem, the son of Hamor, the Hivite, the prince of the land, saw her, he took her and he lay with her by force. He was deeply attracted to Dinah, the daughter of Jacob, and he loved the girl and spoke tenderly to her. So Shechem spoke to his father Hamor, saying, Get me this young girl for a wife. So now when Jacob heard that his daughter had been defiled, uh, uh, his sons were out keeping the livestock, so Jacob kept quiet until his sons returned. So he had 12 sons. So what did Dinah do? So Dinah went and she mixed with the women of the land. She wasn't supposed to do that. But she was forcibly raped. She was raped. She didn't come on to this guy. It says that he forced himself upon her and he raped her. So who ra raped her? It was Shechem, the son of Hamor, the Hivite. 
So they're from this town. Here is the town of Shechem. So they had just been up at Shechem where they had... This is the town of Shechem. So they are from this area. They are Hibbites. So what happens in Exodus 30, in Genesis 34 is the 12 brothers come in. I mean, they're aghast that their sister has been raped and this guy wants to marry her. And so they, they say, ask whatever you want, we'll give it to you for your daughter. And so they craftily, the brothers said, you, you, the, the, the oldest brothers, they said, you, you know, just go ahead and you guys got to be circumcised. So they said, the whole town of you is going to have to be circumcised because we can't have our daughters marrying uncircumcised men. And, and so this seemed pretty reasonable to them because Hamor went back and he told the men of the land, hey, if we just get circumcised here, we're, those people are going to become part of us. You know how rich those Jews are? I mean, they had lots of cattle and that, that's what he's saying to them. And, and so, so that, that's what... Uh, um, you, uh, um, that's what he told his own clan. He said, so, so Hamor goes back and he tells his own clan, let's go ahead and, uh, and, and marry up with these guys and we'll get all their stuff. Well, they get circumcised and after three days, while all the men are in pain, two of Jacob's sons go and they cause some real trouble for Jacob. They go and they kill every man in that little town. They kill every man in their pain. They killed every one of them. So they wiped out that, that entire town. And in fact, I think they, 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 wiped, out, they wiped out everyone. So if you, if you say, so if you, if you look in verse 23 of Genesis 34, will not their livestock and their property and all their animals be ours? Only let us consent to them and they will live with us. All who went out of the gate of the city listened to Hamor and to his son Shechem, and every male was circumcised, all who went out of the gate. Now it came about on the third day, when they were in their pain, the two sons, two of Jacob's sons, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brothers, each took his sword and came upon the city unaware and killed every male. They killed Hamor and his son Shechem with the edge of the sword, and they took Dinah from Shechem's house and went forth. Jacob's sons came upon the slain and looted the city because they had defiled their sister. They took their flocks and their herds, their donkeys, and that which, and that which was in the city and that which was in the field. And they captured and they took all their wealth and all their little ones and their wives, even that was which is in their houses. So they took all the women and the children slaves. And they go back and... Uh, um, and and what, what happened is, is Jacob ends up confronting them. He says, you know, you've brought lots of trouble on me. The people of the land are going to hear about this. And they said, well, they shouldn't have done this to our sister. Now, remember, when a woman was raped in those days, she could never marry. It was a big deal. There's many parts of the world that that still takes place. A woman's raped, she can never marry. I mean, this is a big deal for Dinah. Who were these people? We're right up at the top. It says they were Hivites. They were Hivites. Isn't it interesting that they deceived the Hivites and the Hivites, 400 years later, deceived them? They deceived the Hivites. The Hivites deceived them. You think that, that, that Simeon and Levi got off the hook on this? They, didn't get, they, they, they were actually ended up in big trouble. So if you turn to Genesis chapter uh, 49... Genesis chapter 49. 
you will see the results of this in Genesis 49. This is when Jacob now is dying. Jacob is blessing all his children. But he has three of the twelve sons that he doesn't bless. The first one is Reuben, his oldest. He doesn't bless him because many years earlier, Reuben had slept with one of, of Jacob's wives. Yes, one of Jacob's children slept not with his own mother, but one of, his, one of Jacob's other wives. And so he got cursed. So look in, in Genesis chapter 49, verse 1. Then Jacob summoned his sons and said, Assemble yourselves, that I may tell you what's going to befall you in the days to come. Gather together and hear, O sons of Jacob, and listen to your Israel, your father. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might and the beginning of my strength, preeminent in dignity and preeminent in power uncontrollable as water. You shall not have preeminence because you went up to your father's bed. Then you defiled it. He went up to my couch. So, Reuben had never been confronted, it says, by his father Jacob. But Jacob cursed him while he was dying. All the other sons, so so nine of the sons he blessed, three of the sons he cursed. Now look what he said to Simeon and Levi, the ones who had gone and attacked Uh, uh, Shechem and wiped out that city. Simeon and Levi are brothers. Their swords are implements of violence. Let my soul not enter into their council. Let not my glory be united with their assembly because in their anger they slew men and in their self-will they lamed oxen. Cursed be their anger for it is fierce and their wrath for it is cruel. I will disperse them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. So he cursed those two sons. You do things wrong. You think that there's not going to be any outcome for it. It may take years, but the outcome comes. And it's interesting. It says that they will be, I will disperse them in Jacob. I will scatter them in Israel. What happens to the Levites? The Levites never have a territory of their own. They are given little pieces of land scattered throughout the entire nation. How did, how did Jacob know this? How did Jacob know that this is, was going to come 400 years later that they... Jacob just spoke the word and then it happened. Jacob said, let me tell you what's going to happen in the latter days. All of these things are interconnected. The things that we do aren't just isolated to ourselves. What about, what about Simeon? Try to find the tribe of Simeon on a map of the tribes of Israel. Try to find it. What you will do is you will see on, originally they were given land down here. They were given land down here, and then later on, you see their land is, is gone. They were subsumed by, the, by Judah. They were subsumed by the tribe of Judah. And, and, and uh, uh, so they, they ended up being subsumed. So Simeon and Judah all became one people. They ended up not even having their land. They were dispersed. So exactly what Jacob had prophesied, had spoken over them, is exactly what happened. Then he goes on and he blesses his nine other children. This is for things that had happened much earlier. These Israelites had deceived the Hivites. The Hivites now, 400 years later, deceived them. Do you see why in in Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, it says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that he shall also reap. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that he shall also reap. In Galatians 6, 7. Whatever a man sows, that he shall also reap. 
If we sow iniquity, we will get iniquity. If we sow kindness and goodness, we will get kindness and goodness in our lives. That is the way the world works. A person may be kind and good and they may die. God has a blessing for them in heaven. But what I am saying is, for me, it is data points. I am not a prophet, but I can look at people and see what their life is going to be like in a decade or two. Because I have so many students, so many people that I've watched over decades. I know what their life is going to be like. If they're servants, if they serve others, if they're kind, if they're gracious, they find good spouses and they're good homes and healthy things are happening. If they don't, things just begin to fall apart around them. So it's interesting that indeed the deceiver is deceived. In Joshua 9-7 it says that those were Hivites. They were Hivites. Things that had happened. Now, so Joshua made a covenant with them. It says he took some of their provisions. That means they ate some of the moldy bread because that's how they had a covenant. The Jews are giving them some of their bread and then you take a little bit. It's not like you have to eat all of it. You just take a little piece like the Lord's Supper. Tiny little thing. Just, this is a covenant. They entered into a covenant agreement with them. It turns out that these Gibeonites ended up being quite classy people in the sense that, yes, they were slaves, but they were important temple workers. They be, because of the temple worship, they needed a lot of water for the washing of the animals and the washing of the hands and all the washing that had to occur. And they needed a lot of wood for the fires, for the burning of all these burnt offerings. They needed a lot of this. And there's, there's three passages. One is in First Chronicles 9.2, another in Ezra 8.20, and the third one in Nehemiah 7, verse 60. It speaks very highly of the temple servants. They became an integral part of the nation of Israel. They weren't abused slaves. They became an integral part of the Jewish family. They, were, they became very much part of the temple worship and what had to go on there in the serving within the temple. This was the agreement. We will become your vassals. And what did they say? If we, if, if we turn back to, uh, to Joshua, turn back to that portion, portion in Joshua chapter 9. They had said to them in Joshua chapter 9, they said, you know, if, if you, don't, you don't kill us, we will be your servants. Make this agreement with us. And they made the covenant with them. Once the covenant was given, it wasn't like Joshua said, well, you lied to us, so the covenant's just null and void. No, Joshua said, we made a promise with them. If we violate this promise, wrath will come upon us. That's, that word for wrath is the exact same word that came upon them after they had attacked Ai and they got all beat up. The wrath of God had come upon them for violating the covenant that God had given them in Jericho and when, when uh, Achan had stolen some materials. They didn't want to mess around with this God. They had already made a covenant, even though they had, in a sense, been ripped off by these, Hivite, by, 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 um, by these Hivites. They still honored their word. If you honor your word, you will be blessed. If you honor your word, you will be blessed. You know, I've, I've, I've been part of many companies that have formed. And one of the reasons I like academia much more than I like the business world is that in the business world, there are many people who do, do not keep their word. In academia, there's some people that don't keep their word, but there's less of those. They generally honor their word. And in, 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 in science, if, if, you, if you lie in your science, you're going to get caught. You know, sometimes you make mistakes. That happens all the time. You just correct it. You publish an erratum. 
But if you have this habit of lying and saying, I got this, I got this, you know, I, somebody's going to come behind you and they can't repeat it. In the business world, I found that there's a lot of people that don't honor their word and it's upsetting to me. And so I, I just kind of, you know, try not to get too involved with it. But keeping one's word, keeping a commitment is so important. So they made a covenant with them. They kept the covenant. But there was one time, several hundred years later, they began to violate the covenant. And that covenant was violated by a man named King Saul. He started to kill off the Gibeonites in his zeal for Israel. Saul was his Benjaminite. All of this land that we're talking about here is, was, became part of the tribe of Benjamin. Saul and his zeal was killing them off. And so look in, look in uh, uh, 2 Samuel chapter 21, the book of 2 Samuel chapter 21. God doesn't forget this stuff. So Saul lived, he killed off a bunch of the Gibeonites. Nothing happened in Saul's generation, but it was to the children of Israel. The next generation, David, when he's king, in, in uh, uh, 2 Samuel 21 verse 1. Now there was a famine in the days of David for three years, year after year. And David sought the presence of the Lord. And the Lord said, it is for Saul and his bloody house, because he put the Gibeonites to death. God said, I am bringing famine on Israel because of the violation of Saul, who, who was the king before you, and he put the Gibeonites to death. This is why there's a famine on the land for three years. Finally brought David to the Lord. What's going on here, Lord? And the Lord said, it's because of Gibeon. And David went ahead and made it right. He went to the children of Gibeon. He says, you know, what do you want? Whatever you want. And they said, we have nothing against you. It's only against Saul and what he's been doing to us. Give us seven of his sons to kill. Seven of his sons. And David could, seven of, gathered up seven of Saul's sons and, he, and, and grandsons and had them killed. G- gave them over to Gibeon and had them killed. And it says, and, and, and David had, had said to them, actually in, in verse 6, he says, I'll give them to you. And then further on down, it, it says uh, um, in verse in verse uh, uh, 14, at the end of verse 14, it says, and after that, God was moved by prayer for the land. So in other words, all of a sudden, they did what was right, they came back under the covenant, and then they prayed and God healed the land. It says, it says, after that, God was moved by prayer for the land. After that, after they did what was right, God was moved by prayer. In other words, he wasn't moved by prayer. They were praying for the land. They had gone with famine for three years. They're praying, they're praying and praying. And then they say, God, what's wrong? And God says, because you broke covenant with the Gibeonites. They reestablished the covenant by, 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 by restitution to the Gibeonites. And now all of a sudden, God starts answering prayer. Sometimes people will say pray as an excuse not to do what they're supposed to do. I was talking with one pastor recently and I've been telling him for years to to deal with an issue. And he always says, brother, pray. Brother, pray. I said, no more. No more praying. You do. You do. Brother, do. Do this. You know, there's something you need to act upon. There's no more praying. You act upon it. And this is what they were praying for three years. They're praying about a famine. And God says, deal with this issue. And then all of a sudden, boom, He starts answering their prayer. We have a covenant we make. We make an agreement. This is what I'm talking about. You said you're going you're to get involved in a, in, a, in, a, 
in a discipleship program for 13 weeks. You, you want to go against that now? You, 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 there is something here. You said you're going to do it. You fulfill these things. This is what life is all about. And if you get in the habit of doing that which is right, your reputation gets so good, even among unbelievers, that they trust you. This, this person keeps the word. They said that they would do it, and they did it. They said that they would do it and they did it. They said that they would come and visit and they visited. They said that they would come and do this, they would send me this, and they sent it. You know, and, and it, it, it's so infrequent that, that when it happens, I'm amazed. I met one guy on the airplane and we started talking and, and, uh, uh, and, and so I started talking about, he said some things about his life, I said th- some things about my life. He says, let me ask you, are you from some faith? This is how I started talking about my faith. He says, I want to hear more about that. And, and, uh, and I thought, you know, he's just saying that. He lives in New York City. And, and I said, okay, here's my card. You contact me, and I will have people that are like-minded who are in New York City, and they will come and look you up. He said, yeah, I'm interested in this. And sure enough, he contacted me. I was amazed. And then I sent these people to him, and he set up to, to meet with them now regularly in Bible study. I'm shocked that I just met a guy who fulfilled what he said he would do. And I got on the phone with him. I said, you know, I never thought you'd call me back. He said, I said I would. So I did. I'm like, wow. I mean, the guy's not even a believer. But, but to him, it was important. He said he would, so he did. Let, let's look at uh, uh, Psalm 15. We're going to close off with Psalm 15. Let's read verse 1. Psalm chapter 15, verse 1. O Lord, who may abide in your tent? Who may dwell on your holy hill? He who walks with integrity and works righteousness and speaks truth in his heart. I mean, who can abide with God? How do you get close to God? And it says, you walk with integrity, you work righteousness, and you speak the truth in your heart. Now let's look down in verse 4. In whose eyes a reprobate is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord, who swears to his own hurt and does not change. One who swears to his own hurt and does not change. I mean, this is what it says. So so you make an agreement and then you have to begin to deal with it. So in the NIV it says, says, uh, uh, he who keeps an oath, even when it hurts, he does not change his mind. When you tell somebody something, you are obliged to follow through. Now, if you can't make it or something's come up, you are obliged. We are obliged to go to that person and say, hey, look, you know, I said I would do such and such. I didn't realize I already had another appointment. Could we schedule this at another time? Lots of things you have to correct, but you don't just let it go. Who may abide with God? He who swears to his own hurt. In other words, you make a commitment and you keep it. This is how you get close to God. Oh, well, I'll pray about that. You don't have to. It's already written. You don't have to worry about this. You see that the decisions we make in life don't affect just us. There was something that happened to Jacob's sons and 400 years later, it got Israel trapped in an agreement. 400 years later, the judgment came. I'll tell you, when you make a covenant, when you stand next to your future spouse, and you make a covenant and you say that I will, I will, uh, uh, that, that we will be together until death do us part. This is a covenant before God. This is a promise to God. Well, God, you know, should have told me what they were going to be like. It's too bad. It's too bad. 
You made a covenant before God. And we've covered it before in this class. If you want to walk scripturally, if there's one of those partners is dealing, is, 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 has an immoral relationship in that marriage, you're not free to just break off the marriage. You should be praying for reconciliation. You should be praying for reconciliation. And if there is a divorce, you should be praying for reconciliation. You say, well, we're divorced now. No, the Bible says you pray for reconciliation. It's a huge deal. I didn't get engaged until I had confirmation from lots of people around me that I respect. I wanted confirmation. I wanted to make sure that I, that, that I wasn't making any mistakes in this thing. So, so when the Lord started putting Shireen on my heart, I didn't, I didn't, uh, uh, we didn't get engaged right away. I wanted to surround myself with people that I respected to get their input on this thing. It was a huge deal because if I was going to get engaged, to me, this is an agreement. You know, in our day, oh, as I, engaged, I was engaged to that person, I was engaged to everything. I mean, they were engaged to so many people. I mean, this is an agreement. It's an agreement that you, 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 you respect. You do this with honor. And then when you get married, this is a covenant before the Lord. And you get out of these covenants. Well, it, you know, we had a, a, it, it, it was, you know, we're friends. You know, it wasn't too bad. You watch the destruction that it's going to bring in your family, in your own life. And I have seen lives just fall apart because of the breaking of covenants. We keep covenants. This is what we do. Because God has called us to something greater because we're believers. Let's pray. Lord, I thank You so much for Your Word, for the truth of Your Word. And I pray, Lord, that You would take these young people and they would honor their agreements and they would honor their covenants. Father, I pray that through them You would build many healthy marriages and that You would elevate in them the respect for Your Word and the respect for covenants that are made, for agreements that are made. Father, lest they deceive and then they themselves be deceived lest they bring hardship on their families and on their own lives because of their deception. Lord, I pray that You work in their lives, that You teach us from the Word of God. Teach us Your patterns and Your way for the glory of Jesus. Amen.